Hello, this is Stacy Gibson, and welcome to my podcast. As promised on my promo, tonight we're going to be looking at uh, the plagues of the world. Uh, we know we're in uncertain times right now. A lot of people are in panic and fear. Uh, but we're going to take a look at uh, some, some of the plagues that have happened. Uh, I've got the top 10, and I'm going to turn it into a top 11, actually. Uh, but we're going to get into some things that happen in, in the number one plague, uh, or as I'm going to call it, the number two plague. And we're going to be in a scripture text, a little short uh, text tonight here, is uh, Psalms 91. I would encourage you to, to get your Bible out and read that whole chapter. It's very good. But we're just going to be, I'm just going to read verse 10 here tonight. It says, Psalms 91.10 says, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. That's, that's comforting tonight to know. And uh, But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, I love you and I thank you for all that you do. And dear God, we know there's many people out there tonight with questions there's many people out there tonight father dear lord who who are searching for answers who don't know what tomorrow brings and but dear god i'm reminded now that as the song says because he lives i can face tomorrow and i thank you dear god for all that you do i thank you for your son jesus who died on the cross for my sins and i just pray right now in jesus name that you would touch Anyone listening right now, if, they, if they're lost, if they don't know you, Father, I pray in, right now that they would call out to you, Father, in Jesus' name. And if, they're, uh, if, if they've turned their back on you, Father, I do pray right now that they would fall, uh, fall on their knees and call back out to you, Father, and get restoration. And I hope that maybe that, that, that this tragedy, this, the, this chaos, this... Uh, uncertainty that's that's out there right now, Father, dear Lord, that you'll use this to to get people to to call out to you, and that and that it will have an effect on them, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Uh, like I said, it's Psalms uh, ninety-one ten. There shall no evil befall thee. That's comforting. Neither shall any plague come nigh to thy dwelling. That's a Psalm of David. But we're going to look at the plagues of the world. We're going to start back in the Old Testament with uh, the plagues that, that, of Egypt. Everybody remembers Moses. Everybody remembers that the ten plagues of Egypt, the blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the cattle, the bulls, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and of course the death. All of this was produced by God, was all produced for Pharaoh so that he would let God's children go, let God's people go. Exodus chapter 7 through 12. Now God would send a plague, and Pharaoh would call for Moses to have the plague lifted. Hmm. Huh. Does that sound like what maybe what's going on today? Hey, if we had a Moses, I bet we would be calling on him right now. Moses, please talk to this, talk to your God for us. Because, and I know, I don't know if there's any people out there tonight that are lost, that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I wonder if they're calling people, maybe their next door neighbor is a Christian, maybe saying, hey man, pray for, pray to your God and, and, and stop this madness, you know. I know there's a lot of people right now that said, I want to get out of the house. I'm tired of being cooped up in the house. I had said something earlier on a post and I want to, I'll go ahead and say it again tonight. If you're, if you're quarantined with your family and I know that you're, wife and kids and you know you're not used to that but maybe they're driving you up the wall but i would say take full advantage of the time that you have to mold young minds 
to make a difference in the life because we often know that fathers usually are always at work and they're never around to make an impact. So I would suggest that maybe you get on your knees and pray with your family, that maybe you get the Bible out and read and study and, and have meditation and have uh devotionals together with your family take full advantage of a time that you have to spend that time with your family and i say that because my mother and if you listen to my testimony that i had last week on my podcast you'll know that uh that i was orphaned and my mom and dad died when i was young my uh, dad died when i was 11 and my mom when i was 17 and i would give anything i would give anything just to spend an hour with them much less be cooped up with them for a couple of weeks it's not you know this thing will pass this thing will be over soon and uh we can get back to i hope we can get back to a normal uh way of life but there may be damages caused by this and it, it may uh, i have no idea what god's going to do i have no idea what the economy i mean there are there are some uncertain things but i do know this that jesus christ is going to protect me and jesus christ is going to is going to take care of me and meet and supply my needs and he'll do the same for you if you call out to him now we know right now that there's there's no guarantee that uh, that just because you're a child of God that you're not going to go through hardships. I'm not trying to say that tonight. But anyway, we know right now that uh, that that Pharaoh would call for Moses and, and he'd say, "Hey, pl- please have this plague lifted, please." And and then of course uh, he would say, "I'll let your children go. Just just get this plague out of here, right?" Each each and every time. And but you know we know Pharaoh. I mean God would harden Pharaoh's heart again and. He would never let the children go. And I don't know about you, but, you know, right now, we, we're us going through what we're going through right now with this uh, COVID-19. Uh, you would think that it would only took one plague, that it would, that it that's all it would have took for, for Pharaoh to let these children go and get, and get Moses and Aaron and say, get out of here, just leave. So why did it take 10? Well, I just kind of gave the answer to that because God would harden Pharaoh's heart many a times. So why it took 10? Now, if if you do some research on this, you will see that many of the uh, the plagues were directed at the false gods of Egypt. The first plague of the Nile River was being turned into blood. And it was directed at H-A-P-I. I'm not really sure how you pronounce this name. I don't know if it's Hapi or uh, H-A-P-I, Happy. Uh, but it's but he was the god of the Nile. Now, which in which they worship this god during the annual flooding of the Nile, and it, what it would do, what it would allow them to have uh, fertile ground and to grow crops. And that you you find that a lot, uh, where uh, people worship uh, gods, gods, and and for for different kinds of reasons. And we know uh, throughout history, uh, there's been people that worshipped a fertile god. So why? So they can bear children. A, a god. Uh, worship a, a, a god to uh, so they would be prosperous and in, in you know in their business uh, uh, dealings and we also know that it was uh, gods that they worshipped so that they would have good crops and the ground would be fertile and this is one of those uh, gods this was the god of the Nile now God wanted to show Pharaoh and Egypt that the gods they worshipped were no match for the true living God. No match at all. God also wanted to judge Egypt. Egypt, we know that Joseph had uh, been sold into slavery and ended up in cast in prison and ended up in Potiphar's uh, house. But you know, everywhere jo- uh, Joseph went, he found favor with the guards. He found favor with this one. 
And you know, God used him to interpret a dream. And the next thing you know, to make a long story short, he ended up second in command in Egypt. And there was a great famine in the land. And we know that the children, uh, Joseph's children, he went and got and called for his brothers. And, and, and you know, and God used Joseph to, to uh, save them from all dying because of famine. But we know Joseph eventually died and, and that years went by and the, and the uh, children, God's people, became slaves. And, and they were crying out to God for deliverance. And this is what and this is what's going to happen. And, you know, and God would judge Egypt. He's God's going to judge Egypt because he heard the cries of the children. God also wanted to show his great power through all 10 plagues. Like I said, most of the plagues were focused to a uh, to a, a false God, a deity that, that uh, 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 like like the uh, God of the Nile. And God also, he wanted to show his great power through all ten plagues. And the ultimate goal was simply to free his children, free the slaves. Now on the last plague with the death of the firstborn in all of Egypt, it was called Passover. Well, Passover was instituted at this point. Now for, for, for if the blood was applied, God would pass over his children and the death would be eluded. Hmm. That's where we go back to, to our title text here. It says, Psalms 91.10 said, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh to thy dwelling. For God's children, the, the blood had to be applied. And the same is true today. In order to be saved, the blood of Jesus must be applied to our hearts. We as Christians have the promise of God's protection, His provision, and healing, along with great comfort. However, the blood must be applied. This does not mean that we are exempt from bad things happening to us because we do live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a land of... Uh, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, because of sin, the sin that took place, that there's things that are going to happen. And just because you're a Christian does not mean that you're going to not get cancer, that you're exempt from that. Doesn't mean that you might not be born blind. Doesn't mean that you might be in a wheelchair. Doesn't mean that you uh, might not suffer some sickness. And it simply doesn't mean that you might not get the coronavirus. We can take precautions. We can do what we need to do to, to be careful. And we do need to wash our hands as much as possible. We do need to distance ourselves as much as possible. But I'm looking forward to a day. And like I said, we know just because we're just because we have that blood applied does not mean that we're exempt from bad things happening to us. But I will say this much. There is coming a day where there will be no famine for the believer. There will be no plagues for the believer. There will be no pestilence for the believer. There will be no sickness for the believer. There will be no blindness for the believer. There will be no wheelchairs for the believer. There will be no cancer. Because one day we'll be in, in heaven with Jesus Christ. 
and everything, no matter what you went through in this life, everything's going to change completely. Now, I'm going to look at the top 10 plagues, and I said I changed it uh, to the top 11, and you'll see why here in just a moment on why I changed it to the top 11. But we're going to start at 10 because this is what I printed off the internet. And I'm just going to briefly uh, hit these. I got a lot of information here, but I'm not going to read them all unless they have a number. Because some of these, they, they don't have no idea how many people died. But number 10 is called the Moscow Plague and Riot. It was back in 1771. And they had a lot of uh, chaos and a lot of, uh, a lot of people were, you know, and they called it the Plague and the Riot because a lot of things that are happening today in our world were happening then. Businesses were closed. They were quarantined. They could not go anywhere. They were told to distance themselves. Uh, they didn't, you know, and the, the army had to, 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 to be dispersed to, to the crowd again and again and to try to suppress the riot. And even, I think it does say, it goes on to say somewhere here in that, yeah, here it is, 300 people were brought to trial. And a government commission headed by Grigory Orlov was sent to Moscow on September the 26th to restore order. It took some measures against the plague and provided citizens with work and food, which was which would finally pacify the people. But there's no number of deaths, but we know it was, it was probably pretty great. But we'll move on. Number uh, That was number 10. Number nine was the, the Great Plague of Marcella. Now, it does, it was from 1720 to 1722, and it does say here that 100,000 people in the city and surrounding providences were killed. 100,000 people. Number eight is the Antonine Plague. If I'm pronouncing that right, forgive me. Uh, it, was, it was also known as the Plague of Gallon. And that, you know, and that's, of course, of the one who describes it. But this is 165 to 180 A.D. And that may be Antonine, if, I, if I'm, like I said, if I'm, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that right. But there were, it, it caused up to 2,000 deaths a day in Rome alone. It's number eight. Number seven was the plague of Athens. It was from 430 to 427 B.C. Uh, there's no numbers given here, so I'm going to move on. I wish I would like to have, you know, have known exactly how the numbers went, but we know right now in order that they're going, that must have been great because of the, of the being the top ten, we'll say. Uh, number six was the Great Plague of Milan. It was from 1629 to 1631. We do have some numbers here. Says the Great Plague of Milan claimed the lives of approximately 280,000 people. There were 60,000 fatalities out of a total population of 130,000 people overall in Milan. That was in 16. 18 to 1648 so they got both of these combined here the 1629 to 1631 killed 208,000 people and then the uh, later on we had the 60,000 fatalities out of 100, a total of 130 population that was overall in Milan so in that one area okay excuse me let me back up here that was just in Milan alone the 280,000 people that died were 
with Milan and the uh, other cities around of Lombardy and Venice. Okay, so my bad, my bad. I was looking at that wrong. I apologize for that. But let's move on. Number five is the American Plague. It was in the 16th century. There's no numbers here, but we know it was a pandemic of measles and smallpox. And I probably could have did some more research and maybe could have found some numbers somewhere. But but for the sake of time, we're going to move on because I do got a lot of stuff I do want to uh, cover tonight. Number four is the Great Plague of London. There are some staggering numbers here from 16... Uh, 65 and 1666 says it was a massive outbreak of disease in England that killed 75,000 to 100,000 people up to a fifth of London's population it was also identified as the bubonic plague that was number four the plague of Justinian that's number three it's from 541 to 542 now, modern scholars believe that this plague killed up to 5,000 people per day in Constantinople. Wow. 5,000 people a day dying in Constantinople. Approximately, and it's just, you know, scholars believe, so we know. Number two, the third, is called the third pandemic. <laughs> from 1855 to the 1950s. The third pandemic is, is the name given to a major plague pandemic that began in the Yunnan province in China in 1855. Now notice this, it's number two on the list here because it ultimately killed, it ultimately killed more than 12 million people in India and China alone. Wow, fascinating numbers, terrible. Of course, number one is going to be called the Black Plague and we know that it's probably uh, from 1347 to 1351. It was called the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague as well. And we know right now that that is it is estimated number two had 12 million people in China and India alone, but it's estimated at that's at 75 million people. 75 million people died in this plague. And it says it was approximately 25 to 50 million of those deaths occurred in Europe alone. Mm. And I said that I was going to turn it. This is the top 10 plagues of the world. And I said I was going to turn it into the top 11. Can anybody guess what I think the number one plague in the world is? Oh, really? That's a good answer. Good guess. <laughs> well, the worst plague ever you know, started in the Garden of Eden. The worst plague ever to hit this earth is called sin. S-I-N. And this sin, without that blood applied, when we talked about Egypt earlier, that blood that had to be applied to the doorpost, this blood has to be applied to your heart. You've got to accept by faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And you've got to believe. That's all you got to do. It's just believe. But without Jesus Christ, without that blood applied, this sin, this plague called sin, it sends, S-E-N-D-S, people to hell every day. The CDC reported that 
2,813,503 deaths in the in the world in 2017. 2,813,503 deaths in 2017. That's a lot of people dying. The Bible tells us that wide is the gate to destruction, but narrow is the gate you know, to heaven. So when we look at 2,813,503 deaths, I wonder how many of those people are in hell tonight crying out. Brother Stacy, you shouldn't be scaring me like that. I'm not trying to scare you, but if I could, if I could scare you to get on your knees, I would. I'm just, I'm, hell is enlarging itself every day. The Bible makes that clear. It tells us that. And also, we also know right now that if I'm saying that, that, Wide is the gate to destruction. Wide is the gate to hell. And narrow is the way to, to, to Christ, to heaven. That we know right now that with that many deaths in that year, that we know it's the, the numbers would probably, if, we, if, if I could somehow get the numbers, I'm sure it would be shocking. And, and believe me, this is why I do this podcast. Is because I don't want you to be included in that number right there, right there of those deaths, and I don't know what the percentages. Don't have any idea. I'd like to believe that all two million eight hundred thirteen thousand five hundred three of them all went to heaven, but I know that's simply not true. I know for sure that's not true, and 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 if really, if you want to know what I really believe, I'd say over half of them didn't go. It's probably more like three quarters didn't go. Hmm. Put that in perspective. Why? Because the the Bible does say that hell is enlarging itself daily. Every day. Now, the CDC also reports in 2017 that heart disease killed 647,457 people. Cancer killed 599,108 people. Accidents, all accidents included, were 169,936 people. People that died of a stroke was 146,383. People that died of diabetes is 83,564. Influenza and pneumonia killed 55,672 people. This is all in the United States. The 2,813,503, that was all just the United States. That's not the world. I'm going to put this in perspective to, for you for just a second. COVID-19, so far, 1,841 in the United States. That's a very small number in comparison. And I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm not trying to tell you that, we're, that we don't need to take heed and we don't need to do what we need to do to distance ourselves because what, what the, the impact of how this thing spread so fast and so quickly that if you don't get a hold of this, it could, it could overwhelm you and, and, and come to a point of no return. And that's probably the scary part of it. But we'd also got to know right now that we just need to, we need to calm down. We do need to, to trust God. And now's a good time to call on Him. I'm a firm believer that, that there are no coincidences. I'm a firm believer right now that everything happens for a reason. And I can tell you right now that that God is displeased with America. Every, our America's slogan's always been, God bless America. Let me tell you something. God has blessed America. And what needs to happen right now, God needs to help America. 
because we're going down the wrong road. You can't kill. And I think this was in 2017, too, that we had over 600,000 babies murdered through abortion. I don't know the exact number, but I know it was over 600,000 in one year. Maybe it was in 2015. Forgive me for not having that in front of me, but I didn't plan on saying that tonight. We can't expect to kill that many babies every year and expect God to just bless us. We can't expect to put God on a shelf and expect Him to bless us. We can't expect to live any way we want to live and do whatever we want to do and not serve God at all. To be greedy, to be lovers of ourselves, to put ourselves first. The biggest idol in America right now is ourselves. It's all about us. It's all about, look what I've done. Look what I can do. Nobody's humble anymore. And I'm telling you right now, this, this, this nation is divided. It's still divided. Usually a crisis pulls us together. This crisis hasn't made a change at all. Oh yeah, there's a lot of people, blue collar people, working people, and I'm glad. I love it. Hey, we found out now, you know, guess what? It's it, the, We need the truckers. We need the farmers. You know what? We don't need you, Hollywood. We're sorry. We don't need you. We don't need to hear your political views. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> we really don't. Dar, uh, the, uh, of these top 10 plagues, I said number one is going to be sin. But let me, but the number one plague in, as far as the, is, is, is my original list uh, uh, here, Martin Luther, it's called volume, in volume 43, he wrote a letter to Dr. Johann Hess. He was a pastor, and this pastor had wrote several letters to uh, Martin Luther because he didn't know what to do. He was, you know, like I said, this, uh, this, uh, this plague was killing, it killed 75 million people. Things were bad. You think we have it bad? They had it really bad. They didn't have vaccines. They didn't have things like we do. They didn't have indoor plumbing. So you can only imagine how this, how this got, how bad this was. And he, uh, he was a pastor and, and he was wanting to know he was writing Martin Luther. He wrote to him several times. He was wanting to know what to do. He had wrote several letters to Martin Luther wanting to know what to do during a time of this plague. He wanted to know, hey, should I run and hide? Or, or what should I do? Now, for a while, Martin uh, was sick himself. Now, he didn't have the plague or anything, but he was he was just under the weather. Or, you know, actually, it doesn't really say for what what the reason was, but I'm just assuming. But he was he said he was unable to read or write at this particular time, so he did not respond. However, Doctor Hess kept on writing him, like, hey, you responded one time. Hey, that just good. That's a good thing to to show you that persistence pays off, right? So Doctor Hess just kept writing to Martin Luther, and finally he responded. And I'm going to read that letter here in just a few moments. But right now, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hello, I'm back, and uh, thanks for holding on. Uh, like I said, we're before the break, we were talking about this letter that Martin Luther wrote or the, back in response uh, to this pastor. And uh, this letter is seriously long. I wish I could read it all, but I don't have time. Uh, but I'm gonna, I've highlighted some points, and hopefully bear with me. I'm going to try to get through this as fast as I can. But I wanted to, to, to read some of this because it, it brings out a lot of Scripture and stuff. But uh, I'll just start right here. It says, Christ does not want His weak ones to be abandoned. 
St. Paul teaches in Romans 15, 1, and 1 Corinthians 12, and you can cross-reference that, I think, in 22. To put it briefly and concisely, running away from death may happen in one of two ways. First, it may happen in disobedience to God's word and command. For instance, in the case of a man who is in, in prison for the sake of God's word and who, to escape death, denies and, and repudiates God's word, in such a situation, everyone has Christ's plan, mandate, and command not to flee, but rather, whoop, they just stuck together here, excuse me, rather to suffer death, as he says. Now, whosoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Matthew 10, 28, and 33. Now, those who are engaged in spiritual ministry, such as preachers and pastors, must likewise remain steadfast before the peril of death. We have a plain command from Christ. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, but the hireling sees the wolf coming and flees. John 10, 11. For when people are dying, they most need a spiritual minister which strengthens and comforts their consciences by word and sacrament in faith and over... And, and, and overcomes death. However, where enough preachers are available in one locality and they agree to encourage the other clergy to leave in order not to expose themselves needlessly to danger, I do not consider such conduct sinful because spiritual services are provided. Excuse me. Spiritual service are provided for, provided for, and because they would have been ready and willing to stay if it had been necessary. We look at that. God looks upon the heart. God knows if you're running out of fear, and God knows if you're just trying to get out of work. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with being scared to die. I know that that's just simply some of us away, but I'm not going to sit here and say that that I, I'm I, well. I am going to say I'm ready to die. Well, Chris, Philippians 1, 2, 1 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know where I'm going. I have a peace on that. If I die tonight, I don't weep for me. I know exactly where I'm going. And I'm, you know, and he's talking to, you know, this pastor is the one that wrote this letter to Martin Luther. He's responding, letting you know, if you are a pastor, if you are a preacher, if you're in the service for the ministry, you need to be there for the people. I'm a firm believer right now that if you're helping those in need and they're and during this crisis, this COVID-19 right now, if you're out there helping the community, praying for them, delivering food and doing what you have to do, that God is going to protect you and God's going to take care of you. And if you do catch it, it was God's will. And what great reward you're going to have because in the middle that you didn't run, that you didn't have fear, but you were doing what the Bible teaches. Hmm. When we read uh, St. Athanasius, he fled from his church that his life might be spared because many others were there to administer his office. Similarly, the brethren in Damascus lowered Paul in a basket over the wall to make it possible for him to escape in Acts 9.25. And also in Acts 9.30, Paul allowed himself to be kept from uh, risking danger in the marketplace because it was not essential for him to do so. 
So there are some incidences in the Bible where we see that it's it's okay to flee. It's okay to run. We know right now that there was at one time they picked up stones to, 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 to stone Jesus, and it wasn't his time, and he escaped out the back door. It wasn't his time to die. There is a time. I would just say this. Uh, if you need to quarantine yourself as much as possible, you need to stay at home. You need you should go and stock up on a few groceries and you should go home. If you're fortunate enough to be working right now, you need to go to work and you need to come straight home. You do need to distance yourself. If you're a believer and your neighbor needs help, you need to get outside your home and you need to go help your neighbor. If there's a service that can be done, you need to do it. And trust in God, knowing that he's going to take care of you. I'd rather have God on my side than flee in danger. Because if you were, believe me, I'd rather have God on my side than God's wrath on me. And I don't want to be caught up in disobedience to God. Because then, you know what, it's going to, whatever's going to happen to you is going to happen to you anyway. You you may think, wow, I got out of that one because I, I ran, I fleed from this virus and then die of a heart attack two weeks later. When it's your time to go, it's your time to go. But we need to trust God. And, and I think Martin, Martin uh, Luther is making it very clear here that if we're a minister and there's a work to be done, we need to simply do the work. Uh, I'm going to read on here. I'm going to skip a few paragraphs. It says, in such cases, we must respect the word of Christ. Christ said, I was sick and you did not visit me. That's Matthew 25, 41 through 46. You can read that whole passage. Like I said, for the sake of time, I'm going to move on. Got a lot of stuff to read goes on to say here examples of the holy scriptures abundantly prove that to flee from death is not wrong in itself abraham was a great saint but he feared death and escaped it by pretending that his wife sarah was his sister because he did so without neglecting or adversely affecting his neighbor it was not accounted as sin against him his son isaac did likewise Jacob also fled from his brother Esau to avoid death at his hands. Likewise, David fled from Saul and from Absalom. Uh, the prophet Uriah escaped from King Jehoiakim and fled into Egypt. The valiant prophet Elijah, 1 Kings 19.3, had destroyed all the prophets of Baal, or Baal by uh, his great faith. But afterward, with Queen uh, Jezebel threatened him, he became afraid and fled into the desert. Before that, Moses fled into the land of Midian uh, when the king searched out for him in Egypt. Many others have done likewise. All of them fled from death when it was possible and saved, the li and saved their lives, yet without depriving their neighbors of anything, but first meeting their obligation towards them. And that's the key that Martin, that Mr. Luther is trying to make here. That, you know, if, if they didn't, none of them flee that, that caused harm to someone else or to their neighbor. Every one of them flee just because, hey, I'm, I'm sparing my life. So, and, and, and I look at it this way. You can spare your life to live to fight another day. Yes, uh, you may reply, but these examples do not refer to dying by pestilence, but, but to death under persecution. Well, the answer is de death is death, no matter how it occurs. According to Holy Scripture, God sent his four scourges, pestilence, famine, sword, and wild beast. If it be permissible to flee from one of one or the other in clear conscience, why not from all four? Our examples demonstrate how the Holy Fathers escaped from the sword. It is quite evident that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fled from the from other scourge, namely hunger and death, when they went to Egypt to escape the famine. I spoke of that earlier. And we are told in Genesis 40 through 47, 
Likewise, why should one not run away from wild beasts? I hear people say, if war of the Turks come, one should not flee from his village or town, but stay and await God's punishment by the sword. <laughs> that is quite true. Let him who has strong faith wait for his death, but he should not condemn those who take flight. By such reasoning, when a house is on fire, no one should run outside or rush. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, by reasoning, when a house is on fire, no one should run outside or rush to help because such a fire is also punishment from God. Anyone who falls into deep water dare not save himself by swimming, but must surrender to the water as to divine punishment. Very well to do so if you can, but do not tempt God and allow others to do as much as they are capable of doing. Likewise, if someone breaks a leg, is wounded or bitten, he should not seek med medical attention or medical aid, but say it is God's punishment. I shall bear it until it heals by itself. Freezing wa weather and winter are also God's punishment and can cause death. Why run to get inside or near a fire? Be strong and stay outside until it becomes warm again. We should then need uh, no apothecaries or drugs or physicians because all illnesses are punishment from God. Hunger and thirst are also great punishments and torture. Why do you eat and drink instead of letting yourself be punished until hunger and thirst stop themselves? Ultimately, such talk will lead to the point where we abbreviate the Lord's Prayer and no longer pray. Deliver us from evil. Amen. Since we would have to stop praying to be saved from hell and stop seeking to escape it, it too is God's punishment as every kind of evil. Where would all this end? I think he's making a great point here. From what has been said, we derive this guidance. We must pray against every form of evil and guard against it to the best of our ability in order not to act contrary to God. As was previously explained, if it be God's will that evil come upon us and destroy us, none of our precautions will help us. I love that. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. If it's your time, it's your time. Everybody must take this to heart. First of all, if he feels bound to remain where death rages in order to serve his neighbor, let him commend himself to, to God and say, Lord, I am in thine hands. Thou hast kept me here. Thy will be done. I am thy lowly creature. Thou canst kill me or preserve me in this pestilence in the same way as if I were fire, water, drought, or any other danger. If a man is free, however, and can't escape, let him commend himself and say, Lord God, I am weak and fearful. Therefore, I am running away from this evil, and I am doing what I can to protect myself against it. I am nevertheless in thine hands in this danger, as in any other which might overtake me. Thy will be done. I think that's a key right there that a lot of people need to understand. That's what Jesus said in the garden. He said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. My flight alone will not succeed of itself because calamity and harm are everywhere. Moreover, the devil never sleeps. 
He is a murderer from the beginning, John 8:44, and tries everywhere, excuse me, and tries everywhere to instigate murder and misfortune. In the same way, we must and we owe it to our neighbor to accord him in the same treatment in other troubles and perils also. If his house is on fire, love compels me to run in to help him extinguish the flames. Extinguish the flames. If there are enough other people around to put the fire out, I may either go home or remain to help. If he falls into the water into a pit, I dare not turn away, but must hurry to help him as best I can. If there are others to do it, I am released. If I see that he is hungry or thirsty and I cannot ignore him, but must offer food and drink, not considering whether I would risk impoverishment myself by doing so. Oftentimes I've come across an accident. I've come up on stuff, you know, if I, I, there has, and I understand and relate to both these situations. There's been times I'll pull up to an accident. I'm the first one on the scene and I get out. I do whatever I can to help. I feel like that's my duty to do that. But there's also been times I've, I've come up on an accident and there's already plenty of people around the car helping. I may roll my window down and say, y'all need anything? If not, I'm going to go on. Because we know right now that's exactly what Martin Luther's saying here. When we when there's help is needed, we need to help. When there's others there, it's okay to release yourself. I would rather risk and in, 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 I would risk impartial by doing so. Okay. A man who will not help or support others unless he can do so without affecting his safety or his property will never help his neighbor. He will always reckon with the possibility that doing so will bring some disadvantage or damage, danger, and loss. No neighbor can live alongside another without risk to his safety, property, wife, or child. He must run the risk that fire or some other accident will start in the neighbor's house and destroy him bodily or deprive him of his goods, wife, children, and all he has. Anyone who does not do that for his neighbor, but forsakes him and leaves him uh, to his misfortune, becomes a murderer in the sight of God, as St. John states in the epistle, whosoever does not love his brother is a murderer. And again, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 1 John 3, 15 and 17. That is also one of the sins which God attributed to the city of Sodom when he speaks through the prophet Ezekiel 16:49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters and had pride, suffered a surfeit of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Christ, therefore, will condemn them as murderers on the last day when he will say, I was sick and you did not visit me. Matthew 25, 43. If that shall be the judgment upon those who have failed to visit the sick and needy or to offer them relief, what will become of those who abandon them and let them lie there like dogs and pigs? Yet how will they fare who rob the poor? of the little they have and, and plague them in all kinds of ways. That is what the tyrants do to the poor who accept the, who, uh, who accept the gospel. But let that be, they have their condemnation.
Mr. Luther makes it very clear here that when when it's when we have the capabilities to help others and we don't do it, it's wrong. I mean, hey, somebody, brother, I'm hungry. Well, you know what? I'm going to pray that God sends you some food. Meanwhile, I've got a cabinet full of food and I got a, a wallet full of money that I could have easily bought him something to eat. I'm cold. Well, brother, I pray you get a jacket. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray you get a jacket. Well, that's just wrong, too. Knowing that I got a closet full of jackets and I can offer the one I have on my back now. I could offer a place to sleep. There's many things that I can offer. And this is what he's saying here. Now, I still got some more to read, so I'm going to move on so we can close this out. Now, if a deadly epidemic strikes, and this is what he's really getting to here, and this is what we're going on through right now here in America or in the, in the world. Now, if a deadly epidemic strikes, we should stay where we are, make our preparations, and take courage in the fact that we are mutually bound together, as previously indicated, so that we cannot desert one another or flee from another, from one another. First, we can be sure that God's punishment has come upon us. I want to make that very clear. We can be sure of that, 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 that right now the world, I'm sorry if you don't believe this, I'm sorry if this is hard to swallow, but that this, what is happening to America, what is happening to the globe right now is God's punishment for sin. God's allowed this to happen. God has brought this upon us. God's punishment has come upon us, he says, not only to chastise us for our sins, but also to test our faith and love our faith in the way that we may see and experience how we should act toward God, our love and that we may recognize how we should act toward our neighbor. I am of the opinion that all the epidemics, like any plague, are spread among thy people by evil spirits who poison the air or exhale in pestilence breath, which puts a deadly poison into the flesh. Nevertheless, this is God's decree and punishment to which we must patiently submit and serve our neighbor. Risking our lives in this manner as St. John teaches, if Christ lay down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3, 16. Wow, Luther's making it pretty clear here. Got a few more passages. Wow, I got a <laughs> I gotta get busy. Hold on. Moving right along, skip a few paragraphs down. I'm trying to get as much in as I can. But whosoever serves the sick for the sake of God's gracious promise, though he may accept a suitable reward to which he is entitled, inasmuch as every labor is worthy of his hire, whosoever does so has great assurance that he shall be he shall in turn be cared for. If you if you're always looking out for the best of other people and you're always doing what God would let me let me back up. If you're just being obedient, God does speak. And see, let me just tell you right now, that is what is wrong with America. That's what's wrong with the world today. That is what's wrong with most Christians in the world today. Is we simply we simply are not listening to God. God's trying to speak to us each and every day. And you know what? This is I've always said this. God taps you on the soul shoulder when he's trying to get your attention. He keeps tapping you on the shoulder when he tries to get your attention. He's trying to get your attention to do something. But eventually, he's going to slap you. Eventually, he's going to shake you. Eventually, he's going to put you flat on your back where you have no choice but to call out to him. And, he, and what is he going to say? I've been trying to get your attention for months now. I've been trying to get your attention for years now. 
And I believe with all my heart that God is trying to get America's attention. God's trying to get the leaders of our world, uh, get all their attention right now. God himself shall be his attendant and his physician too. If we're out there doing God's work and doing his will, if we're listening to him, being being obedient to him, we shouldn't worry. We shouldn't have any fear of what's going to happen to me. If someone calls me right now and says, hey, I need you to go do this for me, I'm not going to say, well, I can't do it right now because there's, haven't you heard we're supposed to stay in our homes? Well, yes, I'm, I'm staying in my home right now. But if I have a brother, if I, if my neighbor needs me, I'm going to be there for him. And I expect God to take care of me and watch over me and keep me safe because I'm doing his will and his service. What an attendant is he? What a physician friend. What are the physicians, apothecaries, and attendants in comparison to God? Now, this is good. I like this. Should not that encourage one to to go and serve the sick person, even though he might have many contagious bowls on him, hairs on his body, and though he might be bent, doubled, uh, doubled over, carrying a hundred plague-ridden bodies? Do what, what do all these kinds of pestilence or devils mean over against God? who binds up and obliges himself to be our attendant or a physician. Shame and more shame on you. You ought and out you all you out and out unbeliever. For dis- despising such great comfort and letting yourself come more frightened by some small bowl or some uncertain danger than emboldened by such sure and faithful promises of God. What would it avail you if all... Now, this is what I wanted to get to, really. What would it avail you if all the physicians and the entire world were at your service, but God were not present? (laughs) You can have all the money you want to. You can have all the riches. You can have the, the best doctors. You can have the best medical team around you. But if God wants you gone, you're gone. Now, listen to this. What would it avail you if all physicians and the entire world were at your service, but God were not present? Again, what harm could overtake you if the whole world were to desert you and no physician would remain with you, but God would abide with you with his assurance? Now, doesn't that make sense? I mean, there could be not a doctor left in the world. All the doctors could have died. All the smart people could die. Every, and you know what? And if I have God on my side, it doesn't matter. Do you know that you are surrounded by thousands of angels which watch over you in such a way that you can uh, indeed trample on the plague? As it is written in Psalms 91. Hey, that's where my text came from. 11 through 13. He has given his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the adder and trample the young lion and the serpent underfoot. Therefore, dear friends, let us not become so desperate as to desert our own whom we are duty-bound to help and and flee in such a cowardly way from the terror of the devil or allow him to joy or allow him in the joy of mocking us and vexing and distressing God and all his angels. For it is certainly true that he who despises such great promise and commands of God and leaves his own people destitute violates all of God's laws and is guilty of the murder of his neighbor whom he abandons. 
Christ himself says, as you did it to one of the least, you did it to me, Matthew 25, 40. When he speaks of the great commandment, he says the other commandment is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 39. There you hear the command to love your neighbor is equal to the greatest commandment to love God. And what will you do or fail to do for your neighbor means doing the same to God. Now, I don't have time to uh, read any more of this. I don't know if maybe I, I got several pages left here. And I'm, I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to pause here on the letter and just get back and maybe close out and speaking and maybe I can I don't know if I'm gonna have to do a part two on this or not but I really there, there was really a lot of stuff that I'd read but it's volume 43 Martin Luther I'll just say that let's just go ahead and move on I'll just say that, that that's what you need to do but Martin makes it clear that there are times when we need to flee however we are to never flee in doing God's work Jesus hid himself in John 8, 59. I talked about that. They took up stones to cast on him, but Jesus hid himself. It was not time for Jesus to suffer. What can we learn from this? Jesus told the man he healed in John 5, 11, take up thy bed and walk. In verse 14, behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. We can learn that sin causes bad things to happen. God is merciful, however. He will eventually bring judgment. He brought judgment to Egypt, Moscow, China, Athens, Rome, London, Milan, and the Byzantine empires, India, Central Asia, and America, as well as many other places. Hey, I'm telling you, I am confident right now that there's not a place on this planet that has not felt God's wrath at some point in time or another. We need to stay at home until this passes. We need to remember Passover. We need to do what we can to help those in need. We, we need to remember WWJD, what would Jesus do? We need to call out to God in repentance, America, the world. We need to call out. That's what we need. We need to never forget what God has done for us. We, remain, we need to remember His mercy. Mm. I would like to go back, but I don't have time. I'd like to go back and, and look at some of the things that, that why God brought the plagues of Egypt. I really wanted to round it up there. But hey, I'm just going to close here now. This is Stacy Gibson. Uh, with uh, I'm uh, He's got the whole world in his hands ministry. A division of Community, uh, Community Baptist Church, 601 Jenkinsburg Road, Locust Grove, Georgia. 30248. And I want to tell you right now, I always want to uh, end up with a, with a salvation call. I know this was uh, this may have been a little bit boring for me reading this letter tonight, and I can promise you it's not going to always be that way. That we will uh, get to some more exciting things, and maybe hopefully I didn't put you to sleep tonight. But but let me always say right now that God loves you, and America. I hope this letter there was a lot of truth that Martin Luther had wrote here, and 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 let's just sum it up this way: God's got a work for us to do, and let me tell you right now, God, like I said, nothing happens. And with, and everything happens for a reason. Nothing's uh, nothing's just just stuck in there by coincidence, is what I'm trying to say. So, America, I would say right now, let's don't fear, let's don't fret this this coronavirus. Let's do what we need to do. Just quarantine ourselves. Let's stay inside. Let's be smart and be wise. But let's help our neighbor. And if you're lost tonight, call out to Jesus Christ. Fall out to your knees right now. I, I believe right now that all of this is happening because God is bringing judgment. And God wants us to all 
fall to our knees. If you're lost, please accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you're backslidden, if you've turned your back on God, now's a great time to get back on your knees. Get your Bible out and start reading it. Hey, this is Stacy Gibson. I'll see you next time. God bless.